0: This episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Jackbox Games. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack from the creators of You Don't Know Jack, now on Xbox One, PS3, PS4, Steam, and more. Go to jackboxgames.com for more info.
1: Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about?
0: Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is the second part of the NerdWire Presents Your Stories August 2015 podcast about fans, a theme chosen by our special guest and co-curator for the evening, Mr. Mark Coulomb. Uh, This was a really fantastic night of stories and songs, in which you'll hear from Spencer Hamm, Debbie Vanyos, Katie Utke, Joseph Michael Essex, our own Claire Friedman, and Mark, the man of the hour himself, plus more music from me, Dwight Hassler, Jim Snedeker, and the aforementioned Claire Friedman. Uh, so here's some pretty cool news. Thanks mostly to all of you listening out there and Claire's Hustle at the Chicago Podcast Co-op. Starting this month, your stories is officially going weekly. Uh, that means we'll have new stories and songs for you every Monday. So thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. You're the best. And if you'd like to give us feedback, uh, we would like that too. You can do that on our Facebook page, which is, of course, facebook.com slash the nerdlogs uh, you can also probably find my personal contact info if you're enterprising, but don't be weird about that. Um, if you want to support us live, come out to our next recording, which is this Sunday, August 16th, at the Summer Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago, where we're featuring Sean Smith from last episode uh, and his friends for a night about authenticity. Uh, as usual, the show costs nothing to attend, and it will be a really fun time. Uh, if you're out on the West Coast, Make sure you say hi to us while we're in Seattle for PAX at the end of August. We'll be hanging out with Cards Against Humanity all weekend, demoing and selling a new card game, and doing shows including a Your Story. So that should be super fun. Uh, before I leave you, don't forget to check out all the other great shows in the Chicago Podcast Co-op, like the Nerdolog's own Talking Games every Tuesday and MBSing every Wednesday. We also uh, just launched a new-ish podcast last Thursday. We are representing a show called The Ketchup, which is written and produced by the Emmy Award-winning comedy writer Gary Lucy. Uh, It is about a radio show in the post-apocalypse. It's seriously just so fucking great, and it features fantastic music. Uh, You can catch the first episode now on our website, www.nerdalog.com, and new episodes every Thursday for a year. So enjoy that, and please enjoy this show. Uh, so this is the part of the night when three dudes are gonna sing at you fuck, finally. <laughs> <Hell yeah. laughs> you? Uh, oh. <laughs> Too much clock up here. <laughs> <laughs> Too much clock. <laughs> Which is appropriate because this is the song about femininity. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows more
1: about femininity than men? <laughs> Especially white men. I'm not white. But...
0: <laughs> well, you're honorary.
4: You're honorary, honorary white. white. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Alright,
4: whenever
5: you're ready. Girl, you'll be a woman soon. I love you so much, can't count all the ways I've died for you, girl, and all they can say is, it's not your kind. They'll never get tired of putting me down I'll never know when I come around What I'm gonna find Don't let them make up your mind Don't you know, girl
6: You'll be a woman. Please Come take my hand girl,
5: Understood for all of my life with this ain't girl cut by a knife. The boy's no good. When I finally found what I'm looking for, but if they get the chance to lend it for sure, surely would. Baby, I've done all I could. Now it's up to you. You'll be
6: We want you apart you'll need no
5: more
0: This one? Yeah, Claire!
3: Claire. I'm like Jim,
0: but it's worse. Oh, here. Okay. Dwight's got a lot He's gonna play some horn parts on that guy. Alright.
3: Preacher's and When his daddy would and he come along When they gather the I started talking That's when Billy Would take me walking Through the backyard we go walking Daddy looking to my eyes
7: Lord knows to my surprise The only one Who could ever teach me Was the son of a preacher man The only boy Who could ever reach me Was the son of a preacher man
3: Yes he was He was being good isn't always easy No matter how hard I try When it starts out sweet talking to me He come and tell me everything is alright He come and tell me that everything is alright
7: Can I get away? And deny the only one who could ever reach me Was the son of a preacher man The only boy who could ever teach me Was the son of a preacher man Yes he was one Preacher oh oh so man, on the only one who could ever reach me I was the sweet daughter son of a preacher man. The only boy who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. The only one who could ever move me I was the son of a preacher man. The only one who could ever grow me I was the son of a preacher man. as he was. He was.
0: Everybody. Yeah, and, these guys. Dwight, yeah, and Eric the both of us. All right, guys. We have more stories, starting with more of Mark's excellent friends. This is Spencer Ham. That's cool.
1: Thank you. What a whimsical instrument that was. <laughs> Very fun. I'm um, later. <laughs> So if you know anything uh, about me, if you knew, just knew one thing, let's say, uh, it's that I am a huge fan of that 70s show. <laughs> I love it to death. Uh, and in fact, uh, God, I, I just miss that gang, you know? What a fun group. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, years ago, embarrassingly enough, I, I wrote, I uh, actually did write some fan fiction uh, for it, and I found it recently, and I would just love to just, like, read a little a little ex- excerpt from it. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's titled Goodbye, Wisconsin. <laughs> we open by seeing the whole gang. Eric, Donna, Kelso, Jackie, Stephen, and Fez. They're in their familiar circle, except this time they're not in Eric's basement. They're in a jungle, and they're huddled around a campfire. It's crazy to think that just 24 hours ago we were in Wisconsin, but now we're in South America, stated Eric. Hey, Fez, where exactly are we again? Guyana. Guyana, shrieked Kelso. (laughs) I thought when you said we were going to South America that we were going somewhere south in America. You know, like South Dakota. (laughs) (laughs) Eric shoots him a blank stare. No, Kelso, we're down here to meet Fez's family, said Donna. And for the record, I always knew you were South American. "'Oh, Donna, you sweet, naive hussy. I'm not,' replied Fez. "'We're here to visit my adopted family. There's a lot of them.' "'909, to be exact,' said a mysterious figure who suddenly emerged from the shadows. (laughs) "'Papa, Papa!' Fez yelled as he ran towards the man and hugged him. "'Welcome home, my child. You brought all your friends, I see. Wonderful. "'Oh, where are my manners? Let me introduce myself. Hi.' I'm Jim Jones. (laughs) And you're just outside of my settlement. I found it with my family. We call it... (laughs) Jonestown. You have over 900 kids? What? Did you never use a rubber? Ask
6: (laughs) Helso. We're
1: not that kind of family. We're a family because we all are like-minded people who share the same beliefs. We belong to the People's Temple, a religion that believes that we can rise above the transgressions of American corporations so that we may one day live in a utopian society. <laughs> Sounds like a kiss concert, Quip Stephen. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. <laughs> Suddenly, sirens are heard in the background. Jim Jones looked at his watch. Oh, it's time. I would, ir- I would introduce you to the family, but you've arrived at a critical juncture in our journey. You see, it's imperative that we all leave our mortal bodies tonight. It's the only chance our spirits may live eternally together. (laughs) Oh, now it really sounds like a kiss concert, said Steven. (laughs) Let me get you your drinks for the transformation. I'll be right back. Jim grabs Fez, and they both leave. Okay, so... Fez definitely grew up in a cult, said Donna. That would explain the haircut Jackie quipped. (laughs) You guys, this isn't funny. In a few minutes, a crazy man is coming back and is expecting us to drink poison with him. Yeah, guys, Eric chimed in. He, he's, he's definitely crazy. Unless he's not. <laughs> Wait, you can't honestly believe that any of this nonsense he was saying, asked Donna. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, of course, of course it sounds crazy on the surface. But on the way down here, well... I had some time to think. You know, when we graduate high school in a few months, we're all going to be going our separate ways. I'm sure, we'll keep up in touch at first, maybe even like the second year or so, but but after that, it's it's going to get harder and harder to see each other. And I thought that really, that kind of just bums me out. I love you guys. You're my people's temple. So even if there's an off chance that the group of lunatics is right and we can spend eternity together, then... Then I say I'm willing to take that risk. The group makes eye contact with one another. There's a pregnant pause before Stephen walks up to Eric and places his arm on his shoulder. Eh, I guess there are worse people to spend an eternity with. I'm in. One by one, the group follows suit until everybody has their arm on Eric. Jim Jones returns carrying seven plastic cups. Here you go, guys. Drink up. Kelso looks in his cup. Is this Kool Aid? Close. It's Flavor-Aid. Flavor-Aid, gasped Jackie. Look, I'm all for doing a mass suicide with you guys, but I am not on board with jugging a generic drink. <laughs> Jackie, the group shouted. <laughs> she shrugs and drinks her cup along with everybody else. Within a few moments, they all fall to the ground, dead. <laughs> The vapid husks they once called bodies are now strewn about on the hard, unforgiving ground. Their blank stares pierce the cold night sky like an emergency flare that will never be seen. <laughs> a few minutes later, a helicopter lands near their bodies Now out steps Red Foreman. He walks over to his son's corpse and falls to his knees. He cradles in his arm, strokes his hair, and he whispers, You jackass.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you beautiful beautiful jackass <laughs> i still love you by kit starts playing fate to black end of series thank you
0: thank you way better way better than the actual series finale although the finale was okay uh and it like it had to all right guys coming up next to the stage uh chicago actress this is debbie banos
8: Space, time, or Sprite. The whole of the universe can be felt in a sigh, just like millions of fishes at a pop of a can, going in and out of focus on the blades of a fan, like frames in stop-motion time. I wrote that poem about a fan five years ago. <laughs> I've been meditating on fans, being a fan, having fans... Anti-fans and ultimately what makes a thing, person, place, etc. Worthy of having fans? Uh, what is it that makes me become a fan? Uh, something extraordinary. Uh, a deep voice that reverberates and defies understanding. A moral compass that fights injustice in a spandex jumpsuit. Inexplicable godlike talent. I have fallen in love with celebrities, fictional characters, and dead men. I have a list. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Mr. Darcy, William Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe, Johnny Depp, Prince Hamlet of Denmark <laughs> Dan Stevens Snape Severus Snape Hugh Laurie Pablo Neruda and Batman to name a few <clears throat> if only they met me they would love me they, w- they would love me like many of us humans I live in the liminal space between narcissism and low self esteem I dwell on my anti-fans, antagonists, rather than my fans, my adoring public. Still number one of my arch nemesis. He sits in a dark auditorium, cross-legged, with hiking boots and long dexterous soft fingers massaging his thoughts into submission. I stopped caring, he says. You were just a boring, boring 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 maybe you should wear a dress some heels still of myself the not even the damsel more like the best friend <clears throat> i'm walking down the street Tall, with hard, masculine lines. Sure, determined, a domineering presence with percussive steps in charge. In a gesture of power, I adjust my cuff. I look up with serene stillness and see my reflection in the window. So disappointing. Disheveled hair. Hard lines do not have never existed on my body and everyone towers over my five-foot-two frame my postures out of line and phrases from people flood into my mind tuck your butt in people don't walk like that pull your chin down if you lost 20 pounds I could totally see you playing the girl who people fall in love with
7: <laughs>
8: Side boob. I had a dream about revolutionary cat brothers that rivaled Che Guevara in magnetism and bravery and winding Titanic-like stairwells that led down into a lair of change. Change worthy of setting the world on fire while the institution loomed on the outside, oblivious of its impending doom." You really need to say things in your head before you open your mouth. Your beautiful little mouth. His gap toothed smile encouraging everyone to laugh. I I did think. I thought it was interesting. I I thought he would extrapolate to an interesting conversation about symbols and desires. I tried... I tried really hard to be quiet. But I can only bite my tongue so long until I say some other weird thing. In March of 2014, I watched Matthew McConaughey accept the Oscar for Best Leading Actor. And I was dumbfounded by his speech. I mean, if anyone heard it. uh This guy said that he was his own hero. I watched him with my mouth open as if I was listening to some lunatic rambling about how the earth was flat or watching Tommy Wiseau's The Room for the first time. (laughs) I went home and I looked it up. I had to, like, read it again. This is what he said. Matthew McConaughey, you guys. Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, Who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? It's me in 10 years. So I turned 25. 10 years later, that same person comes to me and says, So are you a hero? And I was like, not even close. No, 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 no. She said, why? I said, because my hero's at 35. So you see, every day, every week, every month, and every year of my life, my hero's always 10 years away. I, I slowly, reluctantly started to change my mind about the speech. Why didn't I have this confidence? The confidence to be my own hero. My own fan. I was just subjecting myself to everyone's preconceived notion of what I needed to be. Things I'm not. Tall, skinny, linear thoughts, meek, put together, normal. When has anyone been a fan of normal? OMG, OMG! I am such a fan of normal soda. It's never flat, and it doesn't have a kick to it. So it never influences my mood. I always feel the same after I have one. Still, number two of my arch nemesis. He sat in a dark auditorium, leaning back with brown hiking boots on the back of old blue chairs. He was relaxed, focused, with a piercing stare. I invisibly sat behind him. What if I was my friend? Would I keep repeating and replaying these scenes of devaluation? Never. If I was my own fan, I would say, I love your work. I love the fact that you strive to be better. I love the fact that you truly believe in compassion. I love the fact that you love arts and science. It's remarkable how easily you understand concepts and ideas. And I would have to swallow all of my self-doubt and self-criticism and say thank you thank you
0: thank you Debbie I really like the term Anti-fan Instead of like Hater Like if you just Like control F Replace all Taylor Swift lyric Hater with anti-fan It would sound like Jack Kirby wrote it I think Like ten of you Get that And God bless your hearts Uh, Anyway Coming up next to the stage uh, We met this young lady Because uh, She became a fan of ours Which is always Super great She is a recent graduate Of Columbia A theater major Uh, She also makes jewelry And blogs This is Katie Utke
9: All right, so tonight, elaborating on the theme of fans, point to, oh, (laughs) I got crap for that last time, so uh, I'm going to give a small introduction and then I'm going to sing for you. Uh, Alan Menken and Glenn Slater wrote a song for the ill-fated uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit prequel. Uh, the prequel was called Who Discovered Roger Rabbit? And in the film, uh, Roger and his friend traveled to Hollywood uh, and were hired as waiters uh, for a big shot movie producer uh, to celebrate his new movie musical that was coming out. Uh, the stars of the producer's film, uh, which were direct references to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and if you have not seen a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers film, go remedy that immediately <laughs> – you will have major dress envy of Ginger Rogers, I assure you. <laughs> uh, so the these two stars uh, were to sing the producer's favorite number from the film. Uh, this only happens in the movies, uh, which was written in the style of popular songs in the 30s and 40s. Uh, the male actor was too drunk, so Rogers' friend, uh, a huge fan of the actress and having had a huge crush on her for a long time, uh, volunteers to take his place. Uh, they perform together. They fall in love instantly. And Roger ruins the moment. (laughs) Uh, The song was shelved, because the film never made it past the development stages, uh, until 2008, uh, when Tony Award-nominated actress and one of my heroes, uh, Carrie Butler, uh, she was in the Broadway revival of Little Shop of Horrors, she was in Bat Boy the Musical, and was Tony-nominated for playing... Uh, Xanadu, <laughs> uh, performed the song on her debut album, Faith, Trust, and Pixie Dust, uh, an album that is strictly acoustic covers of Disney songs and is one of my favorite albums of all time. <laughs> uh, knowing that this whole project uh, was basically six degrees of musical theater and Disney fandom like all the way throughout, uh, I figured it was only appropriate for me to express my love in the best way a geek like me can, uh, by singing, and I'm going to be doing it in the same way I performed musical theater songs at open mic nights in junior high and high school uh, by myself in a cappella, so enjoy. <clears throat> this only happens in the
7: movies, life's not as perfect off the screen. Stars never gleamed so bright And nights never seemed so right Except in the movies that I've seen Faith doesn't work like in the movies Love never enters right on cue Like this the way movies say they always do somehow this mood is too enchanting somehow this moment's too ideal somehow this moonlight we're enthralled to.
0: Guys. Yeah. <laughs> man, that was fantastic! There's so much talent on this stage tonight. So great, Mark. How are you feeling, man? This next gentleman coming to the stage, brand new to your stories, he came to our show last month, which was organized by wonderful Mr. Tanner Woodford and was inspired to come up and talk tonight. This is Mr. Joseph Michael Essex.
4: (laughs) Finding fathers, a few good men, a search for teaching and for learning, good examples. I wasn't quite three years old when my mother divorced my father she had good cause i've never met my father i've uh, have no memories of him except for his absence there's a curious experience for boys who grow up without fathers they spend more time in fact a good deal part of their lives looking for examples looking for other men to emulate to help guide them to help say, this is how it's done. These are the ways in which you become this person. I started my own journey of exploration in books, a thing you can do on your own, without a lot of attention and by yourself, without uh, fans or friends. The first one probably was a little old, or it was a little old and I was a little young, for the ingenious gentleman... Don Quixote of La Mancha. It was written in 1605. It was about a man who had values and value. He cared about things. The next was Ayn Rand, fountainhead. She introduced me to Howard Rourke, quintessential individualist, an independent man with ideals and ideas. In the book... Do androids sleep, dream with sheep? A dubious title. Eventually, they changed it for the movie to Blade Runner. Both humans and androids are seeking for an understanding, the meaning of life. And they are fully aware of their mortality at the same time. In the history category, Socrates, asking questions to define meanings not just to find answers. Leonardo da Vinci, artist, scientist, always searching, always looking inside. Benjamin Franklin, the generous entrepreneur, responsibility, obligation, privilege, and participation. From the movies, the best years of our lives, men returning home from war, 1946. Men trying to find a new place in the world for the men they had become. Like looking in a rearview mirror and a windshield at the same time, seeing the past and the present as they exchange. In Grand Canyon, written, directed, produced by Lawrence Kasdan, 1991, a movie producer played by Steve Martin, chided a friend saying, you haven't seen enough movies. All of life's riddles are answered in the movies. The story and the canyon provide the audience with perspective on how and where they fit in the world. Television was always a fertile place to learn, to find how men act in the world. But for me, television was much more about words the words that men use rather than what they did on a day-to-day basis. Rod Serling, Twilight Zone, 1959, provided stories that delivered questions with too many answers and ideas that challenged preconceptions and focused on human beings, much less men. Aaron Sorkin, created, developed, and wrote almost all of Sports Night, the West Wing, and the recently newsroom. He elevated ideas, language, and common discourse, brought it to a much higher level of civility. One Western stood out among the others. Have gun, will travel. On television and radio, The principal characters, Paladin, principal character Calvin, was well educated, well disciplined, and uniquely culturally aware man. He used intelligence and humor more than a gun. Interestingly enough, Gene Rottenberry wrote one of every ten shows. Paladin meant defender of the faith, protector of the faithful. All of these experiences contributed to my collective vision of how men act and why they do what they do. They, are all, they have all made contributions to how I make choices in life, to how I see and treat others. In my first marriage, I was the protector, the provider. I was 22 by a week. It lasted 16 years. I discovered I didn't know what I didn't know. In my second marriage, I learned how to be a partner and a husband. And the man thing, almost irrelevant. While I've come to some understanding of what it is to be a man, I have no idea what it is, certainly at the time, to be a father. I was 15 or 16 when my mother remarried after raising my brother and I all by herself. My stepfather was a wonderful man who made my mother happy for the rest of his life. After passing away, I realized that the best man, the best father, I've ever known was my mother. She was and still is a strong-willed, independent, intelligent, articulate individual. To my siblings and I, she has always been a nurturing voice, supportive partner, patient listener, and a dependable friend. She has always had my back and been my backbone when hard choices needed to be made. She has helped me find who I am without judgment, recrimination, or guilt. She has always provided advice when asked, space when required, and courage enough to support my own intentions. Like Dorothy at the end of The Wizard of Oz, the ability to stand on one's own is always within us. It just takes some of us longer than others to figure that out and stand up. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, Joseph. Excellent. Dad's out there. Pay attention to that shit. There's a couple of you. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Alright. You're the boss, Jim. Uh, so we're, <laughs> we are in the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen. This next speaker is a member of the Nerdlogs. Uh, I'm going to tell you guys a fun fact. So when we asked Mark if he wanted to be our guest this month, he was like, here's four people that I really want to talk. And one of them was Claire Friedman. But unbeknownst to him, uh, Claire had already declared her intentions to tell a story about Mr. Coolum himself. So guess what, man? This is going to happen one way or the other. This is Claire Friedman.
3: October is an auspicious month for comedy and I, the very best of friends. Uh, It was in October of 2009, two months, a little shy of two months after I moved here, um, when I decided I couldn't stand not performing anymore and and started my first Second City class. Uh, And I looked it up today. And uh, in October of 2011, uh, the AV Club published an article called Beyond This American Life, the AV Club's Guide to the Best Local Podcasts, um, which is no longer online. You can't, the AV Club just has scrubbed it from the internet entirely. Um, but I did find a copy of it because Matt Walsh thought, or Matt, whatever intern Matt Walsh has worked for him reposted it. Um... <laughs> And on that list of podcasts was a podcast called Poor Choices Show. Um, And I was very uh, excited about this because it was described as a podcast about Chicago comedy. And I said, oh, that's what I do. What a perfect show for me, she says just beginning her level 3 IO class
6: <laughs>
3: I don't give myself enough credit as I said I was in Second City so I just finished coming off a banger run of conservatory shows at the Second City which <laughs> But then, oh, then I got to start listening to this show that had just a 70-episode backlog of interviews with every Chicago person that I kind of, sort of, knew who they were. And, oh, man, that show ruined me. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys haven't caught on, that show was Mark's show. I did not speak to Mark Coulomb for another three years. <laughs> Cool. Uh, it's hard to be a fan of Chicago comedy, because by definition, to be a fan of Chicago comedy, you practically are required to be also be a part of Chicago comedy. So you're walking this very strange line in between being a performer and being someone who is included and wants to move up in the world. and doesn't want to seem too cool, but is not at all cool, and displays that at every given opportunity. For example, I know everything about T.J. Jagadowski's life. I have a signed TJ and Dave poster that hung on my wall for a very long time, way past when it should have, because I was one of the first 50 people to do an at-home screening of their film. (laughs) Trust us, this is all made up. And so I was given a signed poster and two copies of the DVD, which I have to this day. Held a screening at my home in Minnesota where I went back to for Christmas during college and showed it to 12 very disinterested friends. <laughs> <laughs> it was a beautiful moment where I got to keep turning around and say, eh? And this is so great to people who looked at me and went, what? <laughs> But I knew that there were people like me out there. I knew that there were people like Mark and me and people not like me, but yes, like Mark, (laughs) who would talk to the people that I didn't want to talk to. And sometimes people that I admired so much would come on the air and then talk about basketball for an hour. You waste of time, Tim (laughs) Baltz. at the archive and uh the week that that av club was posted the uh first episode that i listened to was probably either the unrelated ross bryant who is embarrassingly next door or uh 80 bryant who is now on snl either way both great episodes and again i remember way too much about them And I was always afraid when I was meeting new people that I was just going to start blurting out their life details, which I did sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Some of those people I've awkwardly become friends with, Um, like Ted Tramper, whose web series I watched a lot and whose episode I listened to too many times. And Steph Cook... uh, who I successfully never blurted out that I knew that she was from Texas and I knew her whole origin story of coming here. And Mark Coulomb, subject of Poor Choices episode 199, which I did not need to look up. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird being a fan of something that you're involved in. Especially when it starts unraveling. I feel like when you're a celebrity, like a real celebrity, not like a Chicago comedy celebrity. Let's get real, guys. Uh, when you're a celebrity that doesn't also live in a studio apartment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got too many laughs. So when you're a celebrity, I feel like maybe that you get to Hollywood and you're like, Oh no, the business, it's all real, money rules everything, cocaine, sex, it was all true, we were all wrong. Imagine that, on I'm like a hundredth of the scale, but with exactly the same amount of ego. And that is what Chicago comedy becomes. <laughs> and it's this beautiful, wonderful, weird place. And I still love it so much, and I'm involved in it, but do I still go to three shows that I owe in a row just because I have nothing better to do? No. Because I always have anything better to do. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. And I had this very weird relationship with Poor Choices in that, again, I never talked to Mark. Not once. But I was obsessed. There was, I think there was only one live Poor Twisty show, right? Three? I only had the courage to go to one of them. Um, oh, no, I remember that. No, I, yeah, okay. So the, like, main one that I remember, because I think, whatever, who cares? Nothing matters. Um, nothing matters in the entire world. I learned that from Mark. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um... I went to the uh, the Four Choices held an improv show at the Upstairs Gallery, and I went to it um, in secret. And uh, I had a disguise, um, which was that of someone who was still in classes, so no one talked to me. And uh, I went, and I watched the entire show, and I really enjoyed it, and then uh, almost re- physically ran into Aidy Bryant on my way out and said, hi, as if I knew her, and then just... Just barreled out the door. And that was the only word I said the entire time I was there. Because there were these people on stage that I knew so much about. But they didn't know me. And that's why being a fan becomes really weird. Because you learn everything about these people or these characters or these, these things. they, But you're still Anonymous. And it's been weird because, in addition to to you know seeing all these people evolve and seeing Chicago comedy evolve, I've also uh, weirdly followed Mark's evolution. Where I remember like hearing him talk about like, oh, I think like Mark might be like dating someone, and then like he would jump into like a list of like great comedians. He'd be like, you know who's great, Mel Evans, um, and then like, oh, I'm doing a new podcast it's called Now with Your Ex. Oh, Mel Evans is co host. Oh, and then it's like, oh, you know, me and the lady are moving in together. Was on an episode where someone was talking about board games. And uh, which I listened to on a bike ride uh, three years ago and uh, it was like oh yeah Mel and I are dating but it's like weird because we have this podcast and it's like oh Mel and I are dating and it's like oh I followed you on Twitter a while ago uh, then I had an aneurysm and died um, which is why my ghost is here because uh, my ghost is here telling this story because I always try and think of the story that I'm most afraid to tell and uh, today that is, that is telling someone um, who's here uh, that I've been a huge fan of him and of him and, Mark and Mel in particular. And uh, as that's grown, it's, it's helped um, guide me through the, the weird, weird, weird world that is Chicago comedy. And I remember in October of 2012, a year after I started listening to Poor Choices, um, I got the email that I didn't make a Herald team. And I walked out of my office. He cried in a parking lot, Um, like you do. And and one of the things I thought about after I got off a sobbing phone call with my dad, who was kind of confused, um, was uh, Mark, I think, having Jason Schatz on the show. And the first question he asked was, why didn't I make a Herald team? Um, Which is an insane question to ask. And I don't believe Jason had a good answer. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, you know, Mark's, Mark's talking to all these people. He's, he's doing stuff. I'll be okay. Um, and it's great to have someone who's a fan be such a guiding light. We'll miss you, Mark.
0: That story dovetails nicely with my introduction for our final speaker. You guys will never guess who it is. So Mark... (laughs) I don't remember if we recorded it in October and released it in September or if we recorded it in September. I think we recorded in September the first Your Stories episode that you were on. September 2012, the theme was home. It was, it, we recorded it in September, the theme was home. And Mark told the story about how much he hates, uh, his hometown. And I gave Mark a horrible introduction because I had only really heard of Mark, like, I think Kevin Reader was like, hey, uh, Mark Coulomb is here, uh, he hosts the show Poor Choices. And I only knew what that was because Claire was such a fan. I'm like, oh, that sounds sweet. Like, this this guy's cool. So I think I introduced him with something like, and this is someone who hosts a show that you should listen to. And, and he seems like a cool guy, Mark Coulomb. Uh, but you know what? I was right on both counts. Uh, <laughs> Mark has been... uh a fantastic not just a person who supports the group but who who really and I think Sean Kelly can speak to this I think anyone who does creative things in this room can he teaches us all what it means to support and to be a fan of something and to work towards something I've learned more from Mark about us being all in it together than literally anyone else and he also has really solid opinions on like rock and roll uh Van Halen too best Van Halen album obviously <laughs> yeah. like if you don't think that get the fuck out <laughs> 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 but anyway, it is my great pleasure to introduce, possibly for the last time at this stage, but hopefully not for the last time ever, Mr. Mark Coulomb.
2: Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get a good education, so uh, it's either Huck Finn or Tom Sawyer that sees their own funeral. Yeah, so that's good. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to fall through the ceiling. Uh, thank you guys uh, so much, everybody that talked and everybody that's here, and the Nerdologues and, and Kevin and Cards and, like, all of you, because all you do great stuff, and that's, I think, what Chicago's about, doing great stuff and meeting weird people that do great stuff. Uh, so thank you, guys, so much. Marvel doesn't need you. DC doesn't, it seems, doesn't want you. The WWE does not care about you. Star Wars is going to happen whether you want it to or not. 130,000 people, only cut off because of the fire marshal, stared at a lucite case a couple weeks ago from a prop, from a movie that isn't coming out for two years. There's a reason it's called a con. Disney and Warner Brothers want your money. They want to transmutate your fandom into dollars. They're spinning gold out of your childhood. Fandom is big business now, and it'll cruise along just fine without you. Either young or old, Han Solo's whole vibe is, he doesn't want your help. No, fandom, your friends need you. The folks working on a board game after getting home from some shit job that they hate need you. Podcasts with ten people and one microphone need you. Comedians that make jokes that aren't quite there really need you. (laughs) Things that could use a little money but you wouldn't think to ask need you. Poorly worded Kickstarters need you. (laughs) In the dark ages of the mid-80s, being part of fandom wasn't on demand. We were analog. You had to track things down from arcane sources. Import from someone's cousin in Taiwan. A channel high on an actual dial late at night in another language. Magazines in spinner racks. Cons were at Holiday Inns where, yes, Robert Downey Jr. might have shown up, but only because his dealer lived there. (laughs) Today, whatever you want is right there. It's a click away. It's packaged and ready for Amazon to drone drop it on your Yorkie because you weren't home to sign. (laughs) Fandom's all too easy now. We live in a world of Avengers versus Justice League versus Kramer versus Kramer. And... Every month, you get a $200 million spectacle tied into a Netflix original series that's part of an ongoing narrative and trade paperback form that you can get digitally on demand with a code from Mountain Dew code blue. <laughs> <laughs> and they can be fun. And they would happen if you were there or not. But that shitty comic your friend draws on her lunch break about her shitty boss that takes off his shoes at work? a comic needs you. It takes your shares, your tweets, your likes, even just a text of, that thing you did, did today wasn't the worst. Could be enough. If everybody could kind of start humming Arms of an Angel, that'd be great. No, Alright, um, I will cut the altruistic shit and play off your selfishness and vanity. Being a fan clearly pays off. I know from firsthand experience, I was an M. Mel Evans biggest fan. I think she's one of the best comedians I've ever seen in my life. I was a fan of my wife before I ever met her. Years ago, I nervously approached her after a show and told her how funny she was. My wife used to intimidate the shit out of me, and still does if we're talking not in front of a crowd. The woman with who I share a life and a cat with IBS with makes me starstruck. Our first date, even if she didn't know it, was when I asked her to be on a podcast I used to host. That hour-long interview is our secret origin. Then I created a sham podcast, An Hour With Your Ex, on iTunes and a member of the Chicago Podcast Co-op, just to get her know her better. I clearly had crossed over to fan to someone she should have pressed charges against. But we're married now, and she isn't allowed to testify against me, I think. (laughs) Point being, the single best thing in my life happened because I was a fan of someone, and I told him so. At my lowest point, and I don't mean to brag or nothing, but James Cameron couldn't deep dive to my lowest point. It was someone just letting me know that something I did mattered to them that turned me around. All the things that I make really only exist online. I love making videos and podcasts, but it's hard to know if anyone actually gives a shit. I've rarely heard anyone laugh at any joke I've ever made, mostly because they stink, But also because clicks don't laugh. It's all just numbers. And my numbers aren't the sort of things you're probably going to brag about. So when someone like a Claire Friedman tells you that some dumb podcast you made matter to her, it just means everything. So many of the people that are my friends are people that I was a fan of once, and it blows my mind what everyone's capable of. Not just what you're doing now, but what I know you're all going to do. But it's so easy to get discouraged when you're just getting started and you're doing things that really no one should care about. Fans, dude. You need them. Stop writing for Spider-Man. Let Batman brood by himself. Find small people doing small things and treat them like they're big heroes. Because they are. And it might be a fan of yours, but you, and they might be a fan of yours, but you won't know it unless you let them know. Now everyone, please donate to my Kickstarter and share this on Twitter. Thanks everybody.
0: Leaving us with some great words. He called it a polemic, and I guess that's true. But Dwight, can you grab my uh, can you grab my iPad? It's on that. Okay. Uh, anyway, man, that was so great. Uh, and so I I should call out first of all. It is so um, affirming to hear that someone who you love and respect likes what you do. So Ben, thank you for that. Uh, that means the world to me. Also, these three motherfuckers over here, Danny Bats, Ed Soderbergh, Nora Seidman, have been coming to this show since the very first time we recorded it, which was like four years ago, and they've been at almost everyone. God bless you guys for being famous. They're
5: the fucking best!
6: <laughs> because...
0: Mark, Mark is absolutely right, man. Like we're doing okay right now, but like in the depths of late 2012, we're like, fuck, does this even matter? We're like, well, at least Ed and Danny and Nora like <laughs> it, matters, it matters a lot, man. People like that do matter. So yeah, support what you love. Although I will say, uh my job is selling comic books, so also if you love Batman, you can show your support by buying from Pastime in Niles, Illinois. I need, a, I need a job. Alright, so um, Did you hear how uh, you know how we're starting this? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'll just I'll, oh, sit, okay. here. I'll, I'll sit here yeah. for a minute. Alright, Claire, just hang tight for a second. You'll, you'll, know, a right, Claire, a second. you'll, you'll know what to do. You'll with pick you this up hear. pretty quick. Great. Yeah. Guys, we don't believe in like rehearsal because we're a poorly worded Kickstarter of a band. <laughs> <laughs>
9: Starter is playing
0: a Lava Blues. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost certainly true um... so when the real portion of the
1: song starts I'm gonna cue you guys and cut you guys off but you'll know exactly what to do when we get there <laughs>
6: One, two, one, two, three, four.
5: Uga chaka, uga, uga, uga chaka, uga, uga chaka, uga, 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 taste is on my mind. Girl, you got me thirsting for another cup of wine. I got the hear from you, girl, but I don't need no cure. I just stay a victim if I can for sure. All the when we're all alone Keep it up, girl Yeah, you turn me on I'm hooked on a feeling I'm high on believing That you're in love with me
0: Play it, Dwight He doesn't have a choice
5: Ooga chaka, who ooga ooga chaka, ooga 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 chaka, ooga the ooga, ooga, chaka, ooga. When we're ooga, all alone, ooga chaka, ooga ooga, 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 chaka, ooga, ooga Yeah, you ooga, turn ooga, me on. Chaka, ooga, ooga. I'm hooked on a feeling. I'm high on believing that you're in love with me. I'm hooked on a feeling. I stood in love with you.
0: We seriously, yeah, we are are all fun to you guys. (laughs) guys. Your Stories is a proud member of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like this show, you should also try an hour with your ex. Comedians Mel Evans and Mark Coulomb force each other to watch their favorite movies and TV. The title started as a joke but led to a marriage. But it's still just a podcast. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com.
1: Thank you all, thank you all. I am grabbot23548x.